This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on a Sabbath, and his disciples were hungry, and began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. But he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the showbread which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? Yet I say to you that in this place there is one greater than the temple. But if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guilty. For the Son of Man is Lord even on the Sabbath. Now when he had departed from there, he went to their synagogue, and behold, there was a man who had a withered hand. And they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath, that they might accuse him? Then he said to them, What man is there among you who has one sheep, and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not lay hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value than, than is a man than a sheep? Therefore it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and it was restored as whole as the other. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we do... Uh, Thank you again this morning for bringing us here. And again, thank you for your word, your truth, your truth that sanctifies us, setting us apart from the world, setting us apart unto you. Lord, enable us to understand this morning, we pray. I ask that you enable me to deliver the message you want delivered. And enable all of us to hear what you are speaking to your people in the South. Lord, we're thankful for your truth. We're thankful for your love for us in giving us your word. Seeing your Son bear our sins. Thank you for your grace. We love you and we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Be seated. Well, I love it, you know, when the Lord just works things out, which is all the time. We just don't always, or I just don't always uh, see that. But uh, what I'm going to do, Zachary just read verses 1 through 13. I think probably... um, we're gonna we're gonna stay within the first eight verses there because I've I've, I've had you know some changes in uh, in my in my uh, preparation uh, some changes since uh, since I sent Zachary the, the the passage but um, we we still needed to to look at all that's why I didn't tell him to change it um, it all goes together um, and probably tonight we're gonna we're gonna deal with nine through fourteen. But uh, and, and maybe a little bit this morning because it, again it's it's all part of the same 
uh, account here. But what I want to start out with doing this morning, and that's why I appreciate the, the song so much there, Paula, is because I, I was going to go back to uh, verses 28 through 30 um, for this reason, because I want us to, to, to understand that what we're looking at here in verses 1 through 14, 13 or 14, what we're looking at here is is in that context. Matthew, in his uh, in his writing and his account of the gospel here, has has not shifted uh, his his thought process. Um, in fact, uh, he's not really writing chronologically. He, he's he's keeping things uh, in you know in a theme oriented as he as he moves along. And as I mentioned before, in these particular chapters. 11 through 13, primarily we're dealing with uh, the rejection of Christ. Jesus is rejected um, by those who should have accepted Him, His own people, the nation of Israel, generally speaking. Now, some, some are coming and following Him, and some in truth uh, believe that He's the Messiah and, uh, and, and love Him and, and follow Him. But for the most part, generally speaking, the nation... Is, uh, is, is rejecting him as Messiah, and especially the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, uh, the, the priests, and uh, so forth. So let's, let's go back, and uh, I'm, I'm, actually I'm going to start reading at verse 25. And if you'll remember what's going on here, Jesus gives a, a doxology, as it were. He's giving a, a, a praise, thanks to the Father, for his, what I would call, a term we commonly use, for his sovereign grace. And then he moves from that into uh, verses 28 through 30, uh, what we might call an invitation. And the two are not disconnected. We, I won't go back all into that because we did that last Sunday night. But I just, want to, I just want us to have them in mind as we move into chapter 12, because it's all tied together. So let me begin in verse 25, chapter 11. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Now, in the passage that Zachary just read, we have uh, an example. What, what Matthew is doing is giving us an example of, of the things that Jesus was just talking about in the verses that I just read, those previous Verses in two ways, I would say. So let's again back to verse twenty-five for a moment. Jesus prays, "I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding." All right. First of all, what are these things? 
It's essentially the gospel or the message of the kingdom. Jesus, uh, John the Baptist before him, and then Jesus have come preaching the kingdom. Repent. They're, they're preaching a message of repentance based on the reality that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So in other words, Jesus is saying, the, the kingdom of heaven is, is upon you. It's at hand. It's near. And he's presenting himself as the Messiah. Not so much in words. In fact, a lot of times he, he wouldn't come right out and say that he was the Messiah. Sometimes he did. Um, but his, his works, like we talked about last week, his, his works openly declared his identity. His, the miracles that he did were uh, proof that he was exactly who he claimed to be. You remember back in chapter 9 when he healed the, the paralytic, the first thing that he did was say, Son, your sins are forgiven you. And, you know, you can just almost hear the crowd <laughs> gasp. You know, who does he think he is? Who does he think he is forgiving sins? Only God can forgive sins. And then Jesus goes on to say, So that you may know that the Son of Man has power, or that is authority, to forgive sins. And he turns to the, to the lame man and says, Rise, take up your bed and walk. In other words, he does the miracle there confirms what he has said. The, the miracle vindicates him in the sense that it proves that he has the power to forgive sins. And we're going to see a similar case here. But he has, he has come declaring his authority. He's come demonstrating his authority. And relatively few believe. Now, now there are times here he's got great multitudes following him. But again, if you view that uh, in, in light of you know the whole population, the whole nation, it's relatively few. And besides, as his ministry moves along, the crowd following him gets smaller and smaller and smaller. It's an amazing thing, isn't it, that preaching the truth can reduce the crowd, the, the crowd size. Preaching the truth can actually reduce the size of the crowd. Um, something to keep in mind for our day, because just like them, we, we think just the opposite. Uh, and, and actually, there's no virtue either way. I mean, if, in other words, if you got a large crowd, um, that's great, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're doing right. On the other hand, if you've got a small crowd, that's great, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're doing right. <laughs> and it doesn't necessarily mean you're doing wrong. Sometimes preaching the truth reduces the size of the crowd. So relatively speaking, few are believing him. Now this is what he's alluding to here. As a matter of fact, um, who, who are those who are following him? It's not the religious leaders, is it? It's not the ones who are thought of as being the wise and prudent among them. And this is what Jesus is saying. There's, there's, there's an a, a ongoing contrast here between those who are offended by him, scandalized by him. They don't like his teaching. They don't like what he's doing. 
And those who believe, those who love what he's saying and doing. And that contrast continues. And this is what Jesus actually thanks God for here. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. So, we get over into chapter 12, and, and, and we're going to see an example of this. The wise and prudent. The Pharisees, verse 2, are scandalized by Jesus and the works of Jesus. And by and large, as you read through the Gospels, by and large, who is believing on Him? It's the ones that aren't the elite of society. The ones who aren't considered to be the wise and prudent. It's the tax collectors. It's the prostitutes. It's the lame. The poor. And so Jesus says, Father, for such was your gracious will. He says, I thank you, Father. You've hidden, you've hidden these things. The things concerning the kingdom. The reality of the kingdom. Jesus Messiahship. In other words, His identity. You've hidden these things from the wise and prudent. And we're seeing it manifest here. The, the Pharisees withstanding to the face. And as we we'll, as we see before we get to the end of this, um, uh, actually we stopped just short of it earlier, but in verse 14, the, but the Pharisees went out and conspired against Him how to destroy Him. So He's, he's preaching the truth doing good, healing, delivering. And the Pharisees are so infuriated, infuriated that they want to kill Him. They're an example of the wise and prudent. And the truth is hidden from them. And then you come down again back back to chapter 11. You come down to verse 28, 28 through 30, uh, which is what the, the song was about uh, that Paul was singing earlier. And, and, and let me say this. The song, I was looking at the words um, as, you know, as we were singing it and, and uh, just trying to scan through too at the same time the verses that we skipped. And... Uh, that it, it takes a traditional approach, which is good. I'm not gonna, I'm not knocking it. It takes a traditional approach, but when it takes the wording when Jesus says, "Come unto come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest." And what does the song talk about? In other words, how does it describe those who labor and are heavy laden, or that are weary? It talks about them struggling in this life, you know, dealing with. Temptations, and I don't know, I don't have it in front of me, but it's, it's things along those lines. You know, are you, are you dealing with temptations? Are you dealing with hardships? You know, are you, are you weighed down? It's that, it's that kind of idea. And that's right. That's correct. Or at least that's a, I would, I would say it this way. It's a good, that's a good application. And that's a good, uh, way for us to present these verses and tell people, uh, that are, that are burdened down with the cares of this world. The only true relief is in Jesus. But I think 
what the Lord actually has in mind here, not, and it doesn't exclude that. Again, I'm not, it, it, it includes that, but I, but I think it, the emphasis is, is a little more in a different direction. Here's, here's what I mean by that. And again, verse 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now think about this. Matthew goes straight out of that statement and says at that time, verse 1, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Let's stop right there for a moment. Now, here's the, here's the contrast I think we have in this section. Chapter 12 through uh, 1 through 14, roughly. And, and we've already been seeing it. We're going to continue to see it. But it's, it's between the legalism of the Pharisaical system, the Pharisees and their teaching. Remember in one place Jesus told his disciples, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And, and then he, you know, made it clear to them he was talking about their doctrine, their teaching. Or the disciples came to understand that. At first they thought he was talking about bread, literal, literal, you know, what does he mean? But, uh, they came to understand he meant the doctrine. Beware of the doctrine of the Pharisees. <clears throat> so, there's a contrast here between the legalism of the Pharisees and the grace and mercy oriented ministry of Jesus. And what we're, what we're constantly seeing throughout these gospel accounts, not only in Matthew, but in the others, <clears throat> what are they, what are they taking, what are they finding fault with? What are they taking offense at? Ironically, it's, it's, it's always something good that he's doing. It's expressions of grace and mercy. You know, they're scandalized because he eats with sinners and tax collectors. Or they're scandalized because he's in the company of prostitutes. And they whisper among themselves and say, well, obviously he's not a prophet because he doesn't, he doesn't understand what kind of woman that is. It's, it's the grace and the mercy and the liberty that they are scandalized by. It, it doesn't mesh with their legalism. And so I think what we're seeing in, in verses 1 through 14 are examples of what Matthew gave us in verses 28, or I'm sorry, 25 through 30. So first of all, he says, I thank you, Father, you hid me things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to babes. And we see that played out again in the next few verses in, in 1 through 14. 
Um, the goodness of what he's doing is hidden from the wise and prudent, the Pharisees, the religious leaders. And then secondly, we have an example there of the kind of burden, the kind of yoke that the people were placed under that was making them weary. So he says in verse 28, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you as, a, as opposed to some other yoke, right? And you, you, you're labored and you're, you're burdened, you're heavy laden. I'm going to give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. Now, the implication is, is that the other option is oppressive, harsh. But I am gentle, lowly in heart. By the way, I love the way that song uh, said something about him being gentle and lowly in heart. And then it said, trust in his might. <laughs> that's a paradox, isn't it? Uh, that, that's the, the, the paradox of the lion and the lamb. You know, which is he? Which is true? Well, both. He's the lion and he's the lamb. He's, he's meek and lowly, gentle. But then he says, like the song says, trust in my might. All authority is given unto me in heaven and earth. I, I, in, the, in the movie, if you've seen the movie, um, I, I wish I had the quote in front of me, but it was, it was written well. C.S. Lewis, uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. I think it was in that one. Uh, and I haven't read the books. I've seen them. You know, I, I waited till the video came out. So... Um, Probably not the best thing to do, but that's what I did. They say the books are great. <clears throat> but Aslan in the book is a lion, right? If you've seen it. And, and his character uh, you know, represents Jesus. It's patterned after Jesus. And Aslan is a lion. And so some, someone, uh, when, when they're asking about Aslan, because they're, they're not familiar with him, and uh, they're talking about, in response, you know, they're talking about how good he is, his goodness. And, and then they say, oh, well then there's no danger. And then they go, well, I didn't say that. Oh, he's very dangerous. I thought, man, what a great analogy of Christ. He's very dangerous. Yes, he's a lamb, but he's also a lion. The song brought that out well. He's, He's meek and lowly, but trust in his might. So Jesus says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn of me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Now see, there I think, in, in, uh, in chapter 12, verses 1 through 14, we have an example of what he's talking about there and what I just read. In other words, what does he mean? You who labor and are heavy laden, you who are burdened down. He's talking about those who are being oppressed by legalism. False religion, specifically the false religion of the day, led by the Pharisees in large part. So, I like the application, like, like the song we sang, and I do think it's appropriate, and I do think it's, it's, it's good application. 
you know, tell people if you're if you're weary, if you're if you're burdened in the sense of, you know, your your sin has just has, has just like we say we we hit bottom. It's brought you to the bottom. Or if you're just weary in the battle and fighting temptation, yes, come to Jesus. His burden is light. His yoke is easy. But in the context here, I think, specifically what he has in mind as far as burdening the people and oppressing the people is the false religion of the Pharisees. He's suggesting, come to me, if I can paraphrase this way, you who are you who labor and are heavy laden by the legalism of the doctrine of the Pharisees. Come to me and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you as opposed to their yoke. Learn from me as opposed to learning from them. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And again, the implication is they are harsh and proud. And you will find rest for your souls. Again, the implication is you don't find rest with them. There's, there's no rest for the soul in legalism. There's, there's no rest for the soul in a legalistic approach to worship and Christianity. It's a heavy load. It's a burden to bear. It's oppressive. But, Jesus says, my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. Boy, there, a lot could be a Set on that alone. You notice he doesn't say, I'll just, you won't have any yoke. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to, I'm just going to set you free. You'll be free as a bird. Kind of, you know, the American way. You have no responsibility, no accountability. You don't answer to anybody. You'll be an idol to yourself. At last, you'll be happy. He doesn't say that. And he says, I'm going to, we're going to change yokes here. We're going to remove a yoke. That Peter said in Acts 15, you can't bear anyway. It's, it's unbearable. We're going to get out from under that yoke because it's beating you down. It's made you weary. And we're going to put my yoke on you. Oh yeah, you're still, you're still going to be yoked up. <laughs> you're, you're still going to be a servant. You're still going to be a worker. But, my yoke, he says, and again, it sounds like it's a, like a paradox, doesn't it? Yoke, burden, there's nothing easy or light, but no, Jesus says my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. Because truth does manifest in mercy and grace. Jesus' ministry is full of it. Full of it at every turn. The sick coming to Him and he, he heals them with a word or with a touch. The blind receiving their sight. Lame limbs that have never worked suddenly work perfectly. People who are demon-possessed come and Jesus commands the demons to leave and they're set free. His, his ministry is all about mercy and grace. 
And if we understand anything about the condition of man and the depravity of man, we know that because nobody that came to him deserved what they got, including you and me. A key element to the message of truth is mercy. Mercy. God created, and I'm just going to throw this out for something to chew on because we're not going to go into this <laughs> deeply. Maybe some other time. This is the reason we exist. God created brought everything into being, including us, for the purpose of redemption. Isn't that amazing? I mean, He didn't create, and then man fell, messed it up, and, 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 and you know, he said, well, I've got to figure out something to do about that. No, he had redemption in mind from the beginning. And that's the reason He created man in the first place. That's the reason He created all things in the first place. It's to send His Son to die for human beings, for His creatures. Redemption. Redemption is at the center of His purpose in creation. So it's all about mercy. Truth, Truth is about mercy. When Jesus comes talking about the kingdom of God, how, how is it manifesting? It's manifesting in acts of mercy to people. He's, he's receiving sinners. He's a physician who comes to the sick. He makes house calls. He left the glory of heaven. Took on humanity in order to save us. It's mercy. It's mercy. But there's no mercy in legalism. So here we are on the Sabbath day, and Jesus and his disciples are walking through the fields, and his disciples are plucking heads of corn, or grain rather, because they're hungry. But when the Pharisees saw it, verse 2, they said, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Don't you have to wonder why the Pharisees are out in the middle of a field watching what Jesus and his disciples are doing? <laughs> Is that not a picture of legalism? I mean, it's, it's the morality police. Now, we'll follow this guy around and we'll, we'll see what they do. Oh, look, look! They're plucking heads of grain. And so they complain to Jesus. Now, Jesus responds with truth. Truth that they neglected. Now, think about this for a moment. Now, this kind of applies across the board. The way to understand, uh, and, and you could put this, apply this to just about any given topic. I guess you could. Any, any topic, uh, biblical topic. The way to understand the truth is is to, to read God's Word, to read the Scripture, and then take it with the whole. 
interpret Scripture by Scripture. The best interpreter of scriptural truth is Scripture. Because if you just pull out one passage or maybe a collection of passages that you like, you know, and, and, and you, you've formed some kind of rule um, to the neglect of the rest of God's revelation, um, then you're, you're probably headed for trouble. Almost assuredly you are. I think this is what Paul meant in Acts 20 when he, when he said of himself, I have declared the whole counsel of God. <laughs> I haven't left anything out. I've given you the full picture and I've, I've put it in context for you. But see, legalism doesn't do that. Legalism makes rules and then looks for passages to support the rules they've made. Or they just take a passage and interpret it to their liking. So the, the, the Pharisees said of the disciples, look, they're doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Now, now let me say, it's probably the, 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 the most honest way to address that statement is, it's a little unclear uh, whether this really was Unlawful or, unlawful or not, according to Old Testament law, which is what really matters, in other words, according to Scripture. But it was definitely unlawful according to the interpretation of the Pharisees. And that's primarily what they were concerned with. You know, you're breaking our law, our tradition. You're doing what is unlawful. Breaking the rules. Now, most Commentators and you know the ones that I've looked at take the position that, uh, and, I, and I think this is uh, correct. It just doesn't tell the whole story, which we're going to try to do. But um, take the position that what the disciples were doing, plucking corn, plucking grain. I keep saying corn, plucking grain on the Sabbath was was not really against the law. No, according to Scripture, it wasn't a violation of Mosaic. Law. It was just simply a violation of the interpretation of the Pharisees and the way they applied it. But I do find it interesting that Jesus doesn't even debate that. I mean, he doesn't say, whoa, whoa, whoa wait a minute. This, the law doesn't forbid this. This is your own invention. Though that may well be true, but that, but he, that's not how he approaches it. You know, wait, wait a minute. We're not we're not breaking the law of Moses. This prohibition was put in place by you. And this is what he does. Verse three, he said to them, "Have you not read what David did? Do you know how? Uh, speaking of being scandalized and offended, do you know how offensive that is to the Pharisees? Have you not read in the Scripture?" <laughs> uh, well, certainly they had read it, but Jesus is, is uh, implying that they haven't understood it. Verse 3. Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat of, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests, 
Now he's going to give a couple examples here. There's the first one. From, and notice Jesus is pulling it from the Scripture, from the Old Testament Scripture. Here's the first one. David's on the run from Saul. Saul, the first king of Israel. David has been anointed king, but the time hasn't come yet for him to replace Saul. That's all worked out in God's timing. So Saul is out to kill David. David's on the run from Saul. He goes to Athar the priest, and he lies, actually. He tells, he tells the priest, he says, uh, look, I'm on a, me and my men, we're on a, we're on a special mission for the king. And, uh, you know, secret business. But at any rate, we're hungry. We need bread. And the only thing that's available is the showbread in the, in the tabernacle, which is put there as an offering to the Lord. It's holy. And only the priests are allowed to eat it. You know, once it's served its purpose, the priest can eat it, but nobody else. So David lies to him and says, you know, we're on, he's actually on the run from the king, but he says, we're on a mission for the king, and uh, my, my men are really hungry. So the, the, the priest allows it. He says, he, he knows, you know, who David is and David's position. Great warrior. He knows of David's loyalty to the king even though he's having to run for his life. Um, he knows that uh, he's one of the king's primary mighty men. So he says, look, uh, as long as you've, the young men have abstained from women, you know, contact with women. And David says, yeah, yeah, we're all good there. You know, we're, so he says, okay, he gives them the bread. that It was only legal for the priests to eat. And Jesus says, haven't you ever read that? That was bread in the tabernacle. Only the priests were allowed to eat of it. But David ate. And then he gives them a second one. In verse 5. Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? What's he mean there? He's simply saying, on the Sabbath you do what? Rest, right? That was the Sabbath law. Well, the priests didn't rest because they had to fulfill their duties. It was commanded. It was commanded of God that they fulfill their duties. They had sacrifices that had to be offered. So they didn't rest. So Jesus is saying they profaned the Sabbath. David profaned the tabernacle. The priests profaned the Sabbath. Jesus is saying, haven't you ever read that? How does, how does your, your legalism explain those things? How do, how do you deal with what David did there? How do you deal with the fact that the priests are allowed to work on the Sabbath? And then in verse 6 he says, I tell you something greater than the temple is here. Now, I think that's his point in those two analogies. Let me say it this way. He's saying, yes, Technically, David violated the rules when he, when he went in and got the bread for himself and his men. Technically, he, he did what was unlawful. But it was allowed because there was a greater principle at work. David and his men were in need. I mean, they really were in need. I'm not saying that the disciples were starving here when they were walking through the grain field. They were just hungry. But David and his men were out and they were weary and they were in need. And so they were allowed to take the bread. 
And, and there's no condemnation of that. Scripture doesn't condemn them for doing that. I think, number one, because of the necessity, they needed the bread, they needed the sustenance. Number two, because of who David was, his, his position, he was God's anointed. So there was something greater at work there. There was, at least in this sense, a time where he, he, he was not required to be totally subservient to the Sabbath or, or rather the, uh, the law concerning the bread in the tabernacle. There was a greater principle at work. Yes, the bread is holy. Nobody's supposed to eat of it but the priest. But this is David. God's anointed. His anointed king. And his, he and his men are hungry. So it was loud, allowed. And then the priest, as I already pointed out, they work on the Sabbath because, again, there's a greater principle at work. God has commanded them to fulfill their ministry on the Sabbath day. So they have to do that which is technically unlawful. I mean, if you were going to be technical about it, you would have to say, well, the priest can't work either because nobody's allowed to work on the Sabbath. But if they were to do that, they would be disobeying God himself. They, in their priestly function, again, were not subservient to the law of the Sabbath. Now, with all that in mind, Jesus says in verse 6, I tell you something greater than the temple is here. (laughs) If David could do that, and if the priests could do what they do because of who they are, he says, look, there's something greater than the temple here. In other words, he's implying that who he is and what his ministry is about supersedes technicalities of the law. And then he goes on in verse 7 and says, If you had known what this means, quote, he's quoting from Hosea 6.6, 6, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the guiltless. If you, again, do you know how offensive that is to say to the Pharisees? Quote Scripture and say, if you knew what this means, that's, that's an offensive statement to the Pharisees. In one place he says, go. I think it's in uh, chapter 9. He, he's already used this passage once before in chapter 9, uh, 9, 13. And he says, go and learn what this means. <laughs> to the Pharisees, go and learn what this means. I will have mercy and not sacrifice it. On the surface, on the surface, legalism gives the appearance of strict adherence to God's commands. But it's void of any mercy. It's void of any grace. It's void of any love. Do they have any concern that Jesus' disciples are hungry? No. Further on in the chapter, where maybe we'll, uh, in the next few verses we'll look at tonight, <clears throat> do they have any concern for the man with the withered hand? No. They're just concerned with technicalities. Breaking their 
rules. Here's the thing, and I'm going to try to sum this up real quick because we're out of time. They're not applying the truth of Scripture correctly. And the only way to do that is what I mentioned earlier. Study the Scripture and then take it as a whole. If, if you... If you try to adhere to their interpretation, then there's no explanation for the incident with David, and there's no explanation for the incident with the priest. Because there's no mercy, there's no principle or intent, there's no thinking beyond strict rules and regulations. There's no mercy in legalism. But there is great freedom in the truth. In the truth. What John the Baptist did in his ministry, we talked about last week, and what Jesus is doing, accurately presenting Truth. Truth. And it is loaded with mercy, grace. And that's something they knew nothing about. Our day is no stranger to those kinds of prohibitions evangelical Christians today. We're, we're the ones. We're the evangelicals. We're the ones who claim to believe the Bible. And yet, we invent the same kind of prohibitions that have no scriptural basis in an effort to enforce our own idea of godliness. Truth is far better. Truth is far better. You'll be freer <laughs> and, and it'll work better for you. It's far better. Our belief, our understanding, our application should all be based on thus saith the Lord. Right here. Scripture. Scripture. Taken as a whole. It takes a lot of work, but it's worth the benefits. Well, tonight we'll, we'll plan on looking at the rest of this, and this is where it, it continues to play out with Jesus' healing on the Sabbath. Would you stand, and we'll close with a word of prayer. This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us 
or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80, Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.